0: Hey guys, uh, great podcast. Just got done recording with, uh, SNY's Ian Bagley. Um, just a, a little precursor. There's like a 30 second stretch where there's a, an ambulance in the background. Just want to apologize, um, that, uh, that is on there because as many of you know, I have the technological aptitude, um, of a hamster. Uh, and I can't figure out how to get that off of there. Um, so yeah, uh, the podcast is awesome though. So just wanted to, give you a quick heads up about that. Enjoy! Hey there, Knicks fans! How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you. Or a little uh, Friday edition of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, It's been, I would say, a pretty busy week or two with with Knicks news coming out about the draft, some free agency rumors, some trade rumors, all that good stuff. So uh, rather than get on here like I usually do and, and try to guess as to what's going on, I figured, why not go right to the source um, and ask the person who is as plugged in with all of this Nick stuff um, as anyone who uh, doesn't have a, a desk and a chair in their front office. And that, of course, is SNY's Ian Bagley. How you doing, man?
1: Hey, what's going on, John? How are you? When you said go to the source, I thought you might have Jim Dolan.
0: <laughs> what do you think confused? it would take for me to get to get jimmy d on maybe if i promoted it as like his uh promoting his band he would come on do you think
1: i think yeah like you do a music hour and then maybe <laughs> you get a couple of questions in about uh the Knicks and the rangers that's huh. my best guess
0: how many songs would i have to allow him to sing is the thing i'm wondering and i think maybe the over under is like one and a half before it's like eh, i don't know it might be too many
1: well i know that uh he does a fox five uh appearance i think annually. I think he gets a couple songs in on uh, what, what's their morning show? So, Good Morning New York, something like that. Sounds about so right. So, I think you would probably have to triple that <laughs> to, uh, to make it happen. That would be my guess.
0: Yeah, sorry, that it's not the right podcast for you, Jim. We'll have to we'll have to look somewhere else. Um, <laughs> well, um, well, first of all, before I get to stuff, um, I just want to say, and I, I texted you this a week or two ago, but. I, I I like Sny Ian Bagley a little bit more than I do ESPN Ian Begley because I get so much <laughs> more Ian from with Sny Ian. Um, you you're, you know you send out a tweet like every hour. It's great.
1: <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying that, man. Um, thank you. Uh, it's been great so far. Really enjoying working there, everybody i work with has been fantastic, So, but thank you for that feedback, I appreciate it.
0: Of course well, so listen, it's a Friday afternoon um, I, I appreciate you taking a few minutes I don't want to keep you too long, so let's get right to it um, there's been um, I would say so it's been interesting, there's been a lot of smoke around the Knicks draft pick and what they may do with it what they may look to do with it what they may not look to do with it um, today, uh, there was a news item that came out I think it was generated from someone down in Atlanta if I'm not if I'm not mistaken about them um, engaging in talks with Atlanta for the eighth and tenth pick um, and you kind of came out and and you know you have your own sources and you basically said that it's just talks um, so uh, care to elaborate on that any anything other than kind of how I just explained it
1: I mean, the way that kind of I understand it is this is Generally, well, this is how things work before the draft. You know, teams talk. Teams at the top are going to take and make phone calls about potential trades. And, you know, Atlanta having those two picks makes them uh, an obvious target both to make and take those calls. And then the Knicks obviously are as well with having one of those top picks. So this is just how things work before the draft. Every team that's doing its due diligence is going to explore any and all opportunities you know, to move up and to move down. I'm, I'm sure that New Orleans is even taking calls and, and sussing out what's possible and what isn't possible uh, in trades for that number one pick. I don't think they deal the pick, but you have to listen. So that's kind of my understanding of this thing. It's just one of those calls that gets made. And, and that's why my understanding is also that no one, neither side is seriously considering anything right now. I think it's just... A part of the nature of how things operate in the NBA a couple weeks before the NBA draft. I,
0: I think that's a great point. I'm happy you said it's like, do we even know at this point? Like, are they are they taking calls? Or are they making the calls? Or does it just kind of go both ways?
1: I don't know specifically who's picking up the phone, who's picking up those calls. I don't know. I can't. I don't know. But I do know that the Knicks haven't had a you know private workout yet with RJ Barrett. Uh, I think ESPN reported that it's June 12th, uh, excuse me, June 10th, I think. And I think, and uh, I'm sure they're right there. Uh, So you can't really make an informed decision without having a private audience with the player. Sure. Like Scott Perry and Steve Mills talked about it a lot during their appearances on their network uh, on that MSG show saying how important the interview processes are. and, And you really, you get a chance to sit down with, these prospects, work them out. Also, have dinner with them, talk to them, uh, get a chance to know them in an intimate setting when they come to your gym. So, I don't think the Knicks really can make an. In- I know they can't make an informed decision on R-, R. J. Barrett before they have him in the gym or spend a couple of days around them and get a better feel for him.
0: So, I guess the thing that I've been wondering since they landed the third pick. Um, That's that's someone taking away someone who had to listen to J D and the Straight Chats. uh, Too many songs away in an ambulance behind you. Um, Sorry about that. (laughs) I I I feel bad for that person. Um, I'm in the
1: city. It's loud. I'm sorry about that. No, No, man.
0: It's it's all trust me. It's all good. I know you're in the heart of the city. Um, So I guess what I'm wondering is this: they acquired the not acquired. They got the third pick um, in the draft, and it's been. You know, a couple of weeks since they got that. We haven't had any, like, leaks or, you know, any news items like, oh, yeah, you know, the Knicks front office is in love with um, R.J. Barrett or they think really highly of him. It's just kind of been radio silence. It's just been like, yeah, they like him. They like Cam. I mean, you've reported a lot of this yourself. Um is there? Am I reading too much into the fact that we haven't gotten that report out that, like, oh, yeah, some, are, some in the Knicks front office are enamored with R.J. Barrett's potential or, or anything like that?
1: So, I, just speaking from, from what I hear, my own personal experience, I wouldn't read a ton into that um, because, it, based on how people analyze this draft, R.J. Barrett looks like he's going to be the obvious pick for the Knicks at three – so I, as a reporter, you know, I, I've heard like that there are people over there that like him, but I'm not I'm more interested in kind of digging at who else they may like. And that's not to say I've shied away from reporting that they like RJ. Uh, I think I've written that. But I, yeah, I think that as a reporter, you're looking for the, a different angle. And I think maybe that explains a little bit as to why you don't see, you know, source Nixon love with RJ, because got it it's it's an obvious marriage based on way the way people who do the mock drafts and who are paying attention to the drafts see this thing playing out
0: um the other thing with RJ that i've i've kind of theorized is that maybe there is a hesitation to to pair him who's kind of like um you know a guy who seems yeah. to need the ball in his hands with the types of guys that they think they might get um this summer and then the obvious question then to ask is, well, you know, how is that going to work? The draft is June 20th, free agency starts July 1st, or actually now, I guess, June 30th. Um, I don't know if you could even answer this, but do you have any sense of what, you know, they're going to know by June 20th? I mean, you've been covering this league for a long time. Obviously, teams and agents and all that, 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 those conversations go on maybe when they're not technically supposed to. If you had to take a guess, do you think that the Knicks are going to have a pretty good idea of what lies ahead in free agency before they get to draft night? Or do you think it's still going to be more of a mystery to them?
1: Well, I I just know that, and we all know that, these conversations happen. And the rule is now you can reach out, a team can reach out to a player or his representative on June 28th to set up a meeting. Uh, on June 30th but we know these conversations happen they happen all year they happen in back channels so I think that given the amount of time we have between now and the 20th I would think that the Knicks could have a a pretty strong idea of of where things might unfold uh, after 6pm on June 30th but you're still taking a leap, leap of faith here I don't care if it's Kevin Durant Kyrie Irving, Kemba Walker, Kawhi Leonard I don't care who it is unless you have uh, a signed document uh, stating that this is exactly what's going to happen, you're taking a leap of faith on who may be on your roster after free agency and, and who you draft because of those guesses that you're taking. So it's not an ideal system. I like think the NFL has done a good job of the way they've, uh, the, the, uh, the chronology of their draft and free agency. I wonder if the NBA decides to change at some point, yeah, but it's, I the it's same it because it's, as, as sure as you can be, you can't be 100% sure, and that's why, to me, it probably makes the most sense still to take best player available uh, regardless of position just because of that, even, even though you might be sure, there's still a small percentage chance that things fall through, and then if you draft it up with the idea of you're getting Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, whoever – that could blow up in your face. So I, that's why I think the safer play is to do best player available.
0: Well, if they if they take best player available, I mean, I, you know, we don't know what they're thinking. Maybe they're thinking that Cam Reddish is the best player, or it's Jared Culver, or, or, you know, whoever. The, the consensus is that it's RJ. Let's just say they think it's RJ two. You've done a lot of great reporting um, of reaching out to people who know this kid really, really well. Um, and everybody seems to have the same opinion, which is that look, there are guys who could play in New York, uh, there are guys who can't play in New York, and then there are guys who are made to play in a place like New York. And it, it feels like everybody's saying that last one about R.J. Barrett. Again, as someone who's covered this team and kind of knows firsthand, just from like watching the day to day, the the unique pressures that these guys are under playing, you know, for the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. Um, I guess A. Do you do you think that that's accurate um, from what you know about RJ? And B. How important do you think the Knicks will take that into account when they're when they're maybe making this pick?
1: Sure. So I think with A. I can o- I don't know RJ. Never met him. I can only go by uh, what people say that I've talked to. Uh, one person in particular. Uh, the director of his AU program, You Play Canada, who spent a ton of time around RJ since he was 12 years old and still spends a ton of time around him, Dwayne Washington. Uh, he's a New Yorker. He's actually a Nick band. And That <laughs> works out talk- nice. Yeah, he talked for a long time yesterday when we were on the phone about the idea that he will be able to handle anything and everything that comes his way in this market or really any market. And he pointed to the fact, pointed to a couple factors one of which was he's he knows the city he's familiar with the city he spent a ton of time here because his father uh went to st john's his mom's from brooklyn and went to st john's so there's that but there's also the idea that he's been highly scrutinized for his entire career as far as going to the top high school in the country uh gatorade national play of the year and then going to Duke, which was really the, uh, one of the more highly scrutinized college teams of the last 30 years, just because of the star power there. Um, and, and he, you know, Dwayne said that RJ handles it well, knows what he's getting into, um, and wants to be in New York, wants to be here, wants the spotlight, understands what the expectations will be. And then, then to go to your second question about is that something the Knicks take into account? Steve Mills has said it a few times publicly how there are guys who want to be here because they like the city and they but they don't probably don't have a great understanding or don't have a great capability to handle the elements that come with being a nick with the, the heightened expectations that the larger fan base and the larger media contingent and so that's certainly something that they factor into their decision making whether it be free agency trades or the drafts they're, they're aware of that um so i i would think that that's a uh, a box that gets checked off in favor of RJ Barrett just based on the conversations I've had with
0: people around him. Well, that's good to know. Um, I so the other thing I guess I'm wondering now on the other side of the coin, in terms of if they actually do think about trading this pick. You know, we saw last year on the the night of the draft, um, Travis Schlank down in Atlanta. Ironically enough, they you know it's, it's the it's the trade that produced this extra pick. Um, he made a trade that I think a lot of GMs maybe. I don't know. Maybe they wouldn't have had the guts to make. But he's, you know, he's kind of a relatively new hire, and I think was really empowered by that ownership group to like, hey, build this thing as you see fit. Um, Do you think that the Knicks front office, you know, Scott Perry, Steve Mills would feel as, um, uh, maybe I'll use the word unencumbered to do, you know, any move that they thought best, you know, irrespective of any other pressures.
1: So. To me, I, I think they have, generally speaking, they have autonomy. But I think that any every NBA team, um, its owner, is going to have an opinion. Whether that owner gets involved in basketball decisions or not, if you're working for that owner, you want to make him happy and, and, and keep him confident in you. So I think no matter what happens, whether there's full autonomy or there isn't, you're going to take at least the idea of your owner being on board with your decision into account in any market. So I think there's that. Um, But I I do think that they, you know, they've said it publicly and I don't have a a real reason to believe otherwise that they're going to, to, to make every decision um, with, with the best interest of the franchise, obviously, but also not take anything into account other than that. So I do think that they'll be able to, if they see that, Trading down is, is the best approach here, and that's what they believe. I don't think anything will uh, prevent them from doing
0: so. Um, I'll ask the obvious follow up: Have you heard any rumblings that, that Dolan is involved in any way in or anything, or is it kind of still status quo the way it's been for the last few years?
1: Everything I've heard um, has been kind of the same. Like since Phil got here, uh, you know, I don't think I think there were decisions that Jim got involved in with Phil. But I don't think that Phil was like he wasn't breathing down Phil's neck. I think Phil mostly had autonomy with basketball decisions and everything that I've heard. And again, not to say that it isn't happening, but I haven't heard any instances with with Steve or Scott where uh, they felt encumbered at all by uh, Jim Dylan.
0: Um, last one, and, and then I'll get you out of here. Um, over the last few weeks, obviously the you know the Lakers. Stuff has been kind of making headlines um, about, you know, I guess for lack of going into it too deeply, um, a messy situation behind the scenes. Uh, even this past week, you know, Houston, which I think is looked at by a lot of people as kind of a model franchise, they, you know, there may be some disagreement between Daryl and and Mike and their their owner. Um, we haven't heard anything, you know, good or bad about the Knicks. Um, I'll say. You know, the way that they operate internally, their front office, how, you know, uh, how it goes from the top down, uh relationships behind the scenes, you know, continuity, functionality, all the stuff that, you know, good teams hope to have. I think my, me personally, and I know a lot of other Nick fans, the thing that we are most curious about is because it's like you control what you could control. Do you think that they've kind of... Continue to write the ship on on that front from and and I again I know you're not there you know behind the scenes every day but just from whatever sense that that you could get where do you think they stand on on that front?
1: Just again you know based on what I hear and see and I don't hear and see all I probably there's uh, if I, I hear and see maybe seven percent of what happens in the entirety like behind closed doors with these guys. so I want to preface it preface my answer with that. And I think that in the past, you know, there's been factions in a front office with the Knicks um, and there's been, uh, everybody has been rowing in the same direction, so to speak. But I think by and large with this group, it's, it's different. And I think there is, there is kind of a, a unified purpose. Now when you have people who are very good at their jobs, who rise to the level that, that these guys have risen to in their profession they're going to have strong opinions. You're going to have differences of opinion. And uh, I think it, it, if, if those things play out in a healthy way, that's great. Um, but if they don't and you have those factions and you have the cliques, so to speak, uh, in a management team, that doesn't bode well for the franchise. I, I don't think that's necessarily uh, the case here it, with this group in New York. Uh, I think, obviously, we'll learn a lot about how things operate with uh, what happens this summer over the next few weeks. Sure, yeah. By and large, I think that's been – that's been generally the case with this group.
0: Just super quick follow-up. Just like when you, for instance, you report that like some in the front office like, let's say Cam Rogers. some in the front office yes. like Jared Culver. So we shouldn't be reading that as like, for instance, like you just said, factions. It's more maybe a, um, a healthy diversity of opinion or something along those lines?
1: Yeah, it's it's hard for me to answer that accurately because like if I were to – I'm not polling everybody in that front office. Sure, there, of so. course. Not how it works, you know, so it's uh, that's why I always try to be careful with what I'm reporting, because if I'm hearing something strongly enough to report it, I, I believe in it. But I also can't represent with my reporting uh, every member of the front office or even a majority of that front office, because that's just not they're not going to give me a call and tell me what they're thinking. <laughs> every day. So, of course, that's, that's why I try to be careful with that stuff. So, you know, with the Jared Culver stuff and the Cam Reddish stuff, I mean, I believe in it, and I know it to be accurate that there are people in the organization that like both of those players, but I couldn't accurately state if it's a majority, if it's a minority, if it's uh, you know, it, 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 I don't, I just, I don't want to get too yeah, far, no, of course, uh, I got you into the weeds, but that's kind of that's kind of how I try to present it um, when I'm writing stuff like that.
0: Well, um, I, I've said this the the. However many times I've had you on now, um, the work that you do—I know I speak for a lot of Nick fans—it is—it's um, a breath of fresh air. Um, you keep us connected to to what's going on, and um, you just—I mean—you continue to kill it. Um, Sny, I, I'm glad it's working out because, uh, like I said, we get we get more of you, which is a good thing. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, uh, I guess we're, we'll uh, gear up to see a lot more of you over what should be a, an interesting summer
1: really 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 appreciate that john thank you man means a lot and uh always great to be with you and have a great weekend
0: of course man you too be well all right take care